Uh, If you have your Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 24, we're going to jump in there and just uh, remember this beautiful Easter Sunday. Luke 24, and we're going to read from verses 1 through to 12. 1 through to 12. Luke chapter 24. Hopefully it will appear. Oh, it has. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Uh, But on the first day of the week at Easter, uh, early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, or apparel, I should say. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house on Easter Sunday that this really is the pinnacle of the year that we remember your death and your resurrection. And Lord, I am so grateful, Lord, that we can gather in in safety and in security in this country, Lord, to remember you as our Lord and as our God. And we're grateful for that, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray now as we just jump into your word, that God, that you would speak to our hearts and that Lord, that in ways that we have not imagined or felt before, that God, that you would change us. Lord, as your word said, Lord, I pray that it would be less of me and more of you. That, Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase. Let it be your words that, that hit home today, this morning. In your precious and your good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Easter is a, uh, is a confusing time for me. Because if we look at what our culture says about Easter, and then we look at what the Bible says about Easter, once again we have this, this strange tension. The, the, the world says Easter is about a six-foot Easter bunny rabbit delivering plastic eggs with melted chocolate in them. And if you're anything like our dog, you know, if we do hide chocolate around the garden, it has been known, and who knows, it may happen today. Buddy, our dog, gets very excited for the ones that are left behind from our children. But I, I don't even understand the connection between Easter bunny and an egg. I could understand a six-foot Easter chicken. I could, even, I could even wrap my head around a snake. A snake lays eggs, right? I, I, an Easter bunny laying eggs. It just doesn't make any connection at all. It's, it's just it's nonsense. It makes no sense. And in this passage, we have the angels actually pointing out something, an error that the, the ladies who actually went to the tomb for the first time discovered. And they, and they say this in, in, the, in the middle of the passage, why do you seek the living among the dead? The angel is pointing out an error straight away in Easter, although they wouldn't call it Easter at that time, in their, in their experience. Why are you looking for somebody who's alive Amongst those that are dead. 
It's a rhetorical question. It's not something the angels are expecting the ladies to sit down and go, well, these are our reasons. This is our thinking. It's, it's really just being thrown at them for them to consider what they think is true about the experience that they are going through at that moment. They, uh, they, it was an unanswerable. It reveals our heart. And, and they were exchanging truth for untruth. They were exchanging life for death. The Bible says in Romans that, that we as a culture and as a people have a tendency to exchange truth for error. We, we find error more comfortable at times rather than believing the truth because the truth actually makes us feel uncomfortable. It, could, it can actually make us feel like not so good about ourselves. There's this incredible story in Genesis between uh, two brothers, Esau and Jacob, and they were very, very different. They were twins, and, and if you read it in Genesis, you'll see that, as with many siblings, there was vast differences, even the way that they looked. And Esau was a, a hunter. He was a, a man of the wilderness. And Jacob, it said, liked to sit around in, in tents, I know, doing jigsaws. Right? I don't know what, what sort of things he liked. He was more of a, a gentle kind of guy. And, and Esau literally was so hairy that later, on in the story, they could dress Jacob up in goat's hair and they could uh, convince their dad that it was actually him because he was so hairy. That, that's hairy. I've been around some hairy guys, but I've never mistook them for a goat. That, that is a whole other level of hairiness that I don't even know why I'm sharing that with you right now because it has nothing to do with what I want to tell you, but just something for you to think about. Sila, let's just think about the hairiness of Esau. But Esau, this one particular day, comes back from hunting and he is ravenous. He is hungry. He wants some food. And and Jacob is there and they have this interesting conversation where essentially Esau gives up his birthright in exchange for some stew. He gives up probably the most precious thing in his possession, the most precious knowledge he gives up for some temporary satisfaction. We were in uh, Phoenix uh, a couple of weeks ago and it came up as we were walking around some shops. A young lady who was serving us some candy actually, uh, she asked us where we were from and we said uh, Canada and obviously the accent doesn't match Canada. Although I have to say, let's be honest, um, the Americans aren't necessarily widespread in their knowledge of uh, Canada. You know, it's, uh, they're really not. And so we could have got away with anything. But to be fair to this young lady, she was pretty sharp. She said, oh, do you eat a lot of poutine? And I said, no. In fact, just the look and the smell of poutine, anything that has poo in the word, actually apparently means sloppy. And so it's this disgusting this thing that I know that for you, I'm a Canadian now, but I have not yet had poutine. So I guess some of you could argue that I have not yet come over to the Canadian side. Because I know you get, Canadians get very, very passionate about this mess in a box, poo in a tin. I, I, it makes no sense to me. It doesn't matter how good it smells. doesn't matter how great it looks. doesn't matter how good it tastes. I'm not interested in exchanging health and freedom and my watch working, and my back not aching, or whatever the other symptoms might be from eating it. I don't want to exchange that. And yet Esau comes in, he essentially gives up his birthright for 
the equivalent of some poutine. The most precious thing, he exchanges the truth for the truth of the, the magnitude for something that means nothing. And I want to suggest this morning that we need to be careful as we consider Easter, that we don't look at Easter in the same way, that we exchange the truth of what Easter actually means for the lie and the the shallowness of the equivalent of of poutine, of stew, that this thing, this birthright, this possession that God offers to each and every one of you is there for the taking. Let's not exchange it for a lie that looks like a six-foot bunny with some plastic eggs. What is this truth? Are you looking for uh, somebody who is dead? God is alive. Jesus is alive. Let's not exchange the truth for a lie. And this question the angels pose to these women this day actually uh, is kind of a, a, an umbrella for a, a, a worldview that I think that we all struggle with, whether you are here this morning and you're here just because it's family time and you commit that at Easter and at Christmas I go to church because that's what my mum would like or that's what my aunt would like and you're here and you know what, we welcome you, we love that you're here, I'm not being cynical about that, I'm grateful that you are here. Maybe you're part of the South Fellowship and you've been coming regularly but you've still not fully grasp the magnitude of the offer in Jesus Christ for you this morning. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian many, many years. And, and you know, this East, this is, uh, you've been to many, many Easter services. Regardless of where you're at, I believe this question, why are you looking for the living among the dead, is actually a question that each one of us needs to consider. Because what it does, first of all, it reveals, number one, that the women, they believe that Jesus was, in fact, dead. It's an incredible statement for the angels to say, why are you looking for somebody who's alive amongst the dead? Because the Romans were extremely effective in killing people. There's a, uh, and trust me, I know all these arguments very, very well. One of the arguments against the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus didn't actually die. He was, and, I, and I'm being flippant to prove my point, he was just napping that he woke up three days later. The Romans did not make mistakes like that. They commanded the majority of the world because they were so effective at killing people. If you read the account of Jesus' death, then you will get a glimpse of what that looked like. You start reading the history surrounding the death on a cross, then you start grasping the magnitude and the shame and the horror So much so at that time that cultured people, people, dare I say, like you and me at that time, wouldn't even use the word crucify or crucifixion. It would be the equivalent of you and I using the F word. It's not cultured. We don't want to speak of it. It was so, they actually made up a word to summarize the pain involved in the death on a cross. And that word is excruciate. It's excruciating. The Romans didn't just want to kill you. They wanted to shame you. And, and I could go into great depth and great detail and, 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 and describe to you how effective they were, not only in killing, but also in destroying you and your family. Jesus was not just asleep. So for the angels to say he's alive would immediately have made those women go, how can that be? 
How can it be possible that Jesus is alive? And some of us, maybe you this morning, certainly in our culture would answer this. Glenn, really? You want me to believe that somebody who is dead is now alive? I am a sophisticated, intelligent, uh, science-based person. That is impossible. It's exactly the same as what these women would have thought. It's impossible. I've said to you before that we are in danger oftentimes of having something that C.S. Lewis describes as uh, chronological snobbery, that we believe that any, anybody not in our generation isn't as smart as us. Those of you who are younger, maybe in your teens to 20s, you believe anybody above the age of 40 you know, maybe doesn't quite know what they're talking about. And in certain areas, I would agree. Because there's some things that I just haven't got a clue what's going on. I'm just naive but happy. But you go back a hundred years, you immediately, and we all are guilty of this, start assuming that they're just not quite as bright as us. Not quite as smart. Not quite as, uh, they don't quite understand what's going on. That they haven't got the knowledge. They haven't got the intellect. You go back thousands of years, that, that gets even more. And we think anybody who's a couple of thousand years was just running around banging into rocks and just like, just have no clue. That is not the case. Just a cursory glance through history, you will see some of the greatest discoveries were made thousands of years ago. These people would have found it as difficult to believe in the resurrection as you and I. In fact, it amps up because they can't even understand why somebody wants to be resurrected from the dead. You see, for us, we would think it's a good thing to come back from the dead. For them, they strive towards death because they believe death was freedom. They believe death was a good thing. Why would you want to come back? We're all aiming there. Why? So this whole concept of somebody rising from the dead was alien and strange to them. In fact, in Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he, as soon as he says he's having this conversation with some people in his, in his culture, in his time, as soon as he says Jesus was resurrected from the dead, conversation comes to an end. It's impossible. And I stand before you this morning, and I know that I could prove, I could attempt to prove scientifically, I could attempt to show you proof that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, I'm going to share just a couple of bits of evidence in a second, but the reality is this, and please listen to me. People who lived with Jesus, walked around with Jesus, witnessed his miracles, saw proof, the Bible says, still walked away doubting. In fact, at one part of the Bible, Jesus is raising into the air. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, just, just imagine, why would the Bible say this? Jesus is rising into the air, and it still says some people doubted. They doubted. So, I'm very aware that there's nothing that I can say to prove to you, because it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of Jesus revealing it to you. But I will say this. Notice that Luke names people in this passage. Mary, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. If Princess Diana was to suddenly, let's say Princess Diana uh, visited Kelowna today. You go, hang on a second, Princess Diana is dead. That's why I choose her. Let's just say she appeared to hundreds of people in Kelowna. 
she actually had interactions with people in Kelowna. There was people who wrote down their interactions. There was a talk. There was a buzz about it. And then in 47 years' time, now some of you, 47 seems millennia. For the rest of us, that's not so long. But in 47 years' time, do you think that people then would be able to look back at today and still remember pretty well? There'd still be witnesses alive. There'd still be people who go, yeah, I remember that day. You see, uh, uh, um, Luke mentions people because he knows people as witnesses are far more profound and deeper than just writing. So I'm not saying the Bible doesn't matter because the writing of the Bible is very important to me. But the fact that he's willing to what makes the Bible full, uh, be um, backed up is by the witnesses. that People saw him. And so our culture will go, well, no, 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 you, you don't understand. This isn't a good history book because these books were written hundreds of years after. No, they weren't. In fact, the Gospels and much of the New Testament were written between 20, 30, 40 years after the event, a very short amount of time. And it says that hundreds of people saw Jesus, that there was interactions. But the greatest proof for me is this. Would you and I be willing to be hung upside down, crucified for a lie somebody decided to make up just so they could start a movement and religion and get people's tithes and offerings? Would you be willing to give your life like the many hundreds and thousands of people did at that time based on some writing that somebody had made up just like some gossipy magazine you can buy? Do you not think that somebody somewhere would go, hang on a second, where's the evidence, where's the proof? That's the greatest evidence for me is the thousands and since millions of people who have given their lives over to this. For you to say that Jesus did not rise from the dead is actually, you are flying in the face of massive amounts of evidence. Please do not rely on what you think makes logical sense and base your whole decision about life and death on that. I've said many, many times from this pulpit, there are lots of things, and my wife would attest to this, that I do not understand and do not find logical doesn't make any of them any less true. Hundreds saw them. Thousands, millions have given their life for him. Not just because they read some good writing, but they saw him. They felt his presence. Massive amounts of evidence. And again, our chronological snobbery would lead us to say, yeah, but this Bible is just full of errors contradicts itself, old, irrelevant, that touch. Glenn, are you really saying that you want to base your life on a book that was put together 2,000 years ago? And our chronological snobbery would lead us to say, we should just reject this. There is not a book in our existence that is, this is the best-selling book in the world. This is number one New York best-selling book, always. Number two, interestingly, is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. This book has been the basis of a movement that has literally and still affects our world. Do you not think that people smarter than you or me might have noticed at some point in the last 2,000 years there's a problem with it? This book has been dissected in ways that no other literature has and has still not been found wanting. Some of you are shifting around. I can see you like, I'm not happy with this. Just do some reading. 
you'll find that the contradictions so-called are actually not contradictions at all. They're just based on a lack of study and research. People fast... The, the whole Catholic Church, for example, people are constantly seeking to destroy the church. The Catholic Church, before it started going a little awry, was actually the church. People wanted to try and find how this book was not true and couldn't. Do you know what I love? Is those that do try with an open heart and an open mind. What happens? Anyone? become Christians. (laughs) You actually approach this book with an open heart and an open mind, it changes your life. I challenge you. Do it. Don't hit the nearest, don't Google how to contradict the Bible. But actually, do some proper research. And see where it ends you. And I'll see you in church. In a few weeks' time. Because that's where it'll end up. You see, the evidence that Jesus is alive is profound. And we can't treat Jesus like we treat other people that have gone before him. We can't treat Jesus like other founders of religion who have actually died. You might be a good person. You might be a giving person. You might be a disciplined person. But unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior who died and rose again, friends, I love you, but you are not a Christian. Because the Bible is very clear as to what is needed to be a Christian. He is alive and he is well and he is not among the dead. Number two, this question also shows they did not understand why Jesus died. See, in verse 6 it says, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on that, and on that third day rise. You see, these people knew Jesus in a general way. And we can leave that scripture up. Thank you very much. They knew Jesus in a general way. He, they knew that he was loving and he was kind, he was generous. And you know what? Our culture is okay with that. Jesus, he's my homeboy. You know what? His teaching, it was good. You know, we all should be living more like Jesus. I'm not going to go to church. I wouldn't call myself a Christian, but Jesus, he was okay. I, I like Jesus. He was kind. He's generous. He's a good example. He was a good teacher, a great person. In fact, his death proves this, that he was willing to die for something he believed in. It was admirable. Set a great example to us. But if that is as far as our Christian belief goes, we are just aligned, just like those women who first went there and were told, you're looking for somebody who's alive amongst the dead. They were missing something. We're missing something if that's the limit to what we believe about Jesus. And the reason is, is there's one word in that passage. In verse 7 it says, the son of man, what's the word? Must be delivered. That's an uncomfortable word for us. It's a difficult word for us. He must be delivered. He must suffer. He must die. He must rise again. Why is this a difficult word for us? Because the reason the angel said must is there is no other option. There's no other answer. He had 
to die. They understood he died for them, but they didn't understand he had to. And these women are a lot like us in the church today, that, that we, we believe, but we don't understand why Jesus had to die. And, and the reason is, is the one thing I can prove to you at Easter, more than anything else in the world, is the reason why Jesus had to die. And here's, here's my proof, okay? The reason Jesus had to die is because the one thing I don't need to prove is that we have a problem. In church, we call it sin. We have a problem. You and I have a problem. And for thousands of years, we have attempted to fix that problem. Billions upon billions upon billions are thrown at the problem. Political philosophies rise and fall on the problem. Wars have been fought due to the problem. And the problem is the heart of mankind. Sin. And I don't need to prove it to you because all you need to do is flick the TV on for a few minutes and the proof is right there. We have a problem. And we've been trying very hard. Yeah, but Glenn, you don't understand. If we could just do this, okay, let's try that. If you honestly think you're the first one to think of that, good for you. It's been tried before, it failed. Because you still have a root problem and it's the heart. How do you change the heart of a man or a woman? He must be delivered. He must, be, he must be delivered. He had to die because who you are and what you do is not enough to deal with the problem. And if we were very, very honest with ourselves, church, we would know that. Because when we go quiet at night and it's just you and your thoughts, it's just you and your quietness, and you actually get a reflection of who you are, you realize you have a problem. And that's not to say counselors or psychologists can't help. They can help, but they can't change your heart. We need our hearts changed. There's two things sure in this world. It's sin and death. And it's something that we all consider, we all think about. So we have a problem. And it's possible to be around Jesus and not understand that he had to die. He is not just a good teacher. He is a savior. He came to save us. You are saved through him. What does that mean? It means that you are saved from the problem. And you're actually saved ultimately from God himself because we've, and again, this is just like a summary of everything that we teach in this church, only one sermon. I apologize. This is the compact thing. But here's here's what we learn. Here's what we know is that we're okay with justice if it means that we gain something out of it. We're okay with this person getting justice because they deserve to be punished for what they did. We don't like justice when it points back to us because we don't deserve what we think. No, we don't deserve the punishment for what we know we did. We're okay with God being happy, gentle, kind of hippie God. We're not so happy with God being the just, wrathful, punishing God. That's not a message you want to hear on Easter Sunday. But the reality is, unless we actually understand what it is that we're saved from, we can't actually celebrate that. We can't understand the magnitude of what Jesus did on that day, on Friday, and then uh, on on Sunday. That is like a dull magnolia color rather than the multicolored, amazing truth 
of what it actually means. If we can understand what the cross meant, if we can understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we would celebrate because it would show that we understand what it is we're being saved from. That I have committed sins and omitted to do things that deserve one thing, and that is death. And sometimes, and the Bible says that that death actually starts in life. You don't actually have to wait till you die. It starts decaying in life. Jesus says, I came to take that punishment for you. And not only that, but to give you the life that you're striving after. The very thing that you are seeking to be fixed, I will fix for you. He must be delivered because it is the only answer. You know, I don't think we get excited enough at Easter. I love the worship. I haven't been here a few weeks and you guys are just so good. And um, we should be raising the roof, shouldn't we? Can I just say, we're rubbish at clapping. We really are. Sarah and I were laughing. We used to go to a church in North Wales that were filled with, we call them travelers. They were uh, gypsies. Oh, they were terrible at clapping. But they did it a lot. They're just their rhythm and timing was horrendous. And he was like, you actually have to make an effort to be this bad. But it was brilliant because they all clapped. They celebrated. And we're like... I'm a Manchester United fan. I've got my tie on. Manchester United tie. Not for any reason, just because... Oh, no, now I'm in trouble. No, it looks like I've got a growth. Never mind. Who cares? I've been in a stadium with 76,500 men with not just little lumps. Like, if you ever watch TV, I, I say to my kids, look, that's your heritage right there. You pause it on the crowd. They've got their hands up in the air and they're singing. They're screaming. They're shouting. They're clapping their hands. They're doing other things with their hands that I don't encourage in church. But... They're celebrating something that is their religion they believe in. And so the reason I think we don't celebrate at Easter and we don't celebrate quite as much on a Sunday is not because we're cultured. It's because we don't actually really understand how much we need him. I think we really understood how important his death and resurrection really was to you and to me every day. We would be kicking that door down and attempting to play the drums ourselves. We would be celebrating because we would not be able to keep the joy that once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. That once I was uh, uh, separated from God and now I am connected. Once I was unaccepted, now I'm Accepted, And once I had no access, now I have access. Once I was just an unlovable dude trying to struggle through his sin and shame. And now I'm an unlovable dude who now has got Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that I could not only have life in the future, but I could have life now. And there are some days I don't feel that life, but there is every day I know that the promise is there. And that 
is what we celebrate. And so when they kick off worship, we shouldn't go, we should be singing more hymns in this play. No, we're singing a hymn. We should be like, come on! We have every reason more, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's true, more than celebrating Manchester United, we have every reason to celebrate. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is our confidence before God because we are not confident in ourselves. Thirdly, Finally, you all know means nothing. <laughs> they didn't understand, so they didn't. They were look. They thought he was dead. They didn't understand what it was all was happening, why it was happening. But thirdly, they didn't understand the spiritual truth of the resurrection. They didn't understand the spiritual truth of the resurrection. Are we connected to the resurrection in such a way that it brings us a present reality in our everyday? That we, that do, we, do we feel him? Do we sense him? Do we, do we know him? That, that the story's inspiring and we love that, but you need to understand, and I was saying this to my kids the other day, that there's a, a then and a now and a future to the gospel. And so let, let me explain. As a Christian, we believe that the then, the, the, um, the sin has been forgiven in our past. We get that. We can celebrate that. We also understand that there is a future that, that we end up in heaven. It's great. We get that. But there's a now in between. That that and that produces a now. When you're sat on the, on, on the bus or in your car or in the coffee shop or in your office or in a lecture hall or on a train or on a plane or you're walking down and you're just taking your dog or whatever it might be, there's a now present reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 34 it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't it just enough to know he is good? No. You need to taste it. You need to taste it. You need to experience it. You need to feel it. You need to know it. You need to live it. You see, Easter forces us beyond our belief. Remember those days when you were a kid where anything was possible? Remember when you used to scare the living daylights out of your mom and dad because you, you thought you, were, you could do anything? And that actually resulted in things that were really dangerous or you just thought you were invincible, that anything was possible, that you looked at jobs or TV or whatever and, and you thought, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be that, I'm going to, yes, I can do that. And then somewhere along the line, something changed and, and, uh, and you start kind of thinking, well, that's not reality, that, that maybe it's just not possible. Can I tell you that Easter pushes the boundary of our belief in what's possible? Because the thing that you're actually striving for, that not the things that you think are, are in the, not, not the job, not the car, not the, not the material things, not the possessions, not the I'm going to get, but the actual thing you're looking for that those things you believe bring you, that is possible. But that which you grasp at, in the middle of a movie when you're inspired, that the music creates inside of you, that art brings out of you, that success at work makes you feel it. Whatever that 
it is, I'm letting you know that you push all those things aside that ultimately will fail you anyway, that it is possible. Easter actually brings the impossible right into your heart every day. Easter tells you it's possible. Those of you who know my family well and and me well, there's been some feelings recently of impossible. I'm starting to believe that it's possible again. Because Easter reminds me that I don't have to correct this, that it's been corrected for me. And that Jesus rising from the dead represents new life to me and to you. That you don't actually have to struggle through. That it's possible every day that you can live out the reality of the resurrection and the joy that that brings. Because Paul and these writers were writing to people who were dying, having their eyes gouged out, their tongues cut off, limbs cut off for their faith in belief in Jesus Christ. They were, ha- they were being financially ruined. They were being scourged. They were, it's not just a, a, like, oh, I'm not going to sit next to you in the lecture hall. It's like losing their lives for their belief. And he's saying, look, in the midst of all that, you can know the joy of Jesus Christ. It's possible. And it's possible because Easter Sunday seals it, tells us it's possible. So friends, it's my prayer that maybe if we're in a, that we're exchanging the truth for a lie, that if we're looking for the living among the dead, if you're actually trying hard to get this world to produce that thing that Jesus Christ offers you, if you're trying really hard and it's exhausting you, then I want us to leave the tomb like those women that day, convinced, and run back into their world with a new knowledge and a new experience and a witness inside them that says, I've got news. The old is gone, the new has come. You can have that this morning. The alternative is you just carry on. Slowly but surely decaying in your own attempts to fix. But the greatest joy is made available to you this morning. So please do not leave the tomb unchanged. Don't trust in and be confident in yourselves. Come to him who is able. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then tomorrow morning, taste and see it. And on Tuesday, taste and see. And it goes on throughout the week, all based because of what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Let's pray.